I. My name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our title today is Embrace God's Gift of Limits. Embrace God's Gift of Limits, coming out of the recently released Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book. Now, this week uh, builds on last week where we talked about following the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus, because so much of Western culture is about a life without limits. Uh, we measure success by bigger and better and faster. And we talked about that a bit last week. And our entire culture resists this idea of, of limits. I, for one, this has been, you know, a great challenge for me. I mean, I, I hate limits. It's like being in a cage. Uh, and I was raised, uh, just like most of you who are listening today, with a in, in a Western culture and a media that's, uh, and a church culture that is willful, that is never give up, like take the hill. I mean, the Great Commission was, you know, advance the gospel, build the church, burn out for God with one's life. I remember uh, being taught C.T. Studd's great quote, some want to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And uh, the models were people who, uh, and great leaders who had a massive work ethic uh, and who just were uh, chronically overextended physically, spiritually, emotionally, and very often at the expense of their families, et cetera, in physical health. But it was for a great cause. It was for Jesus. And uh, it just fit in well with my family of origin, unresolved material of workaholism. Uh, and so really the first 17 years of my Christian life, I led a exhausting pace of pastoring and leading that was unsustainable. Uh, even as a married person, I lived as if I were single in so many ways uh, until finally hit my own wall. But central to the uh, my entrance into emotionally healthy discipleship was this theology, actually, an issue of limits. That's why embracing God's gift of limits is one of the most difficult truths to actually absorb into our bloodstream. Uh, I've been thinking and wrestling and struggling with this uh, truth for 25 plus years, uh, but it is perhaps the core uh, or one of the cores of emotionally healthy discipleship. It is worthy of its own book. And so uh, there's just so much to it that even in my preparation for this podcast, I uh, probably have double the amount of material that I have in a normal podcast. So I, I know I'm not going to get through it all. But let me encourage you to, again, pick up the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship. Uh, we have an excellent study guide that's available to you for free because you really do need to talk about these things. Uh, and there's some introduction videos as well that I've done that go with it. But this material is so vast and so large with so many implications that it really needs to be discussed, uh, especially as we lead uh, and live for Jesus. So... As I said earlier, this is, again, go to, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship for those free materials. But this has been, as I said earlier, my greatest spiritual challenge. Um, but I have grown to, to love them. Uh, but the reason it's been so difficult uh, and is so difficult for me, continues to be, is because it's so closely related to rebellion uh, against God and, and our core sin. Uh, and there remains in me considerable willfulness. You're going to hear this term throughout this 
podcast, willfulness versus willingness. But I'm growing. Uh, and the issue is, am I willful? I'm going to get this done versus willing, surrender to God. Is my fist closed or is my fist, my palms open before the Lord? Are my arms kind of crisscrossed or, or are my palms open to him? Am I trying to control or master or run my own life, manipulate it so it gets done? Or am I surrendering to the uh, flow of the Holy Spirit and to God? And what ends up happening is we we end up in this kind of narcissistic narcissistic spirituality where we end up using God. But even prayer and worship and intercession and our strategy meetings end up actually a way to power over God, violate limits. I, I know I've done it. I, I know it well. I know the strategies well. So let me just suggest to you that there are large elements within present-day church culture uh, that are willful. And again, we swim in it. It's hard to see. And yet this issue of how we engage limits uh, affect how we spend every minute of every day, our, uh, the most mundane of choices that we make on a given day, how I'm approaching this podcast that I'm doing, how you're listening to the podcast, how I engage life. I mean, regardless of what age you are as you listen to this, uh, we uh, it, this issue of limits affects us differently at every age. So you have many young people, for example, who are ang- full of anxiety. Uh, maybe you're, you're there and you're eager. You want to run ahead of life. You want to you want to make your mark. Uh, but you're running past limits, uh, God's gift of limits, uh, and getting yourself in all kinds of trouble. Or perhaps you're middle aged and your some of your dreams have been stopped or shattered, and you end up envying people who seem to reach their dreams, and you're angry and. You're losing your spark that you had earlier that, and who knows, that spark may not have been all God either. Uh, and so you find yourself angry and envious a lot. Or perhaps you're uh, older. Uh, and for many elderly people, you know, uh, you know, integrating limits is so key to growing older. Uh, whether it's giving up your car keys that can't drive anymore or even approaching death, which is the ultimate limit and, 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 and sickness. But limits open us up to revelation of God that could be found no other ways, they, they, the amazing ways. I, I love Genesis 28, 16, where Jacob says uh, at Bethel, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And that's the way it is with limits. We have, surely the Lord is in this place of limits and I was not aware of it. I mean, God is in everything and God is in limits. So let me just read you one paragraph from the chapter on embracing the gift of limits. And then I want to dive into what's involved in building a countercultural, radically different, biblically healthy community, culture, church for Jesus that embraces limits as a gift, that actually embraces willful willingness, not willfulness, and surrenders to God, trusting in him. So here's a little paragraph. I want to read it as an introduction here as we launch into the, um, the texts. Limits offer us many gifts. They protect us so we don't hurt ourselves, others, or God's work. They keep us grounded and humble, reminding us that we are not in charge of running the world. They break our self-will. They are God's means to give us and our ministries direction, if we will listen. And they are one of the primary ways we grow in wisdom. And perhaps most importantly, limits are places we encounter God in ways that would otherwise be impossible. Unquote. Lot there. So let me take apart now five texts uh, around this issue of limits, biblical texts that that have shaped me, continue to shape me. Uh, Again, they're bottomless like all of Scripture. 
uh, but they give us a, a broad theology uh, or framework to think about what it looks like for you and for me to embrace limits as God's gift. So the first I want to take is from the Garden of Eden. Uh, and the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 4 to 17, where God places them in the garden and tells them to, to work the garden. And uh, this is called the Garden of God. And, and God plants this garden in the east, and he commands them to take care of it, to, to, to work, which is good. And he puts these two trees in the garden, two trees in the garden. He talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. But they're told by God, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they are free to eat enjoy all the other trees in the garden. And so we've got this image of them working the garden and that they're, they're cooperating with God and cultivating the garden, like dreaming and using their intelligence and science, technology, poetry, architecture, literature, philosophy, engineering, government, all sacred and holy. And they're tasting and mastering, they're, they're enjoying their God-given freedom and power, and they're accomplishing a great deal. Uh, they're bringing order out of chaos, which is they're cutting a path through a virgin Forest. They're subduing the earth. It's all beautiful. But the key thing in this text is there's one tree that they, they're limited. They're not to eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God places that tree, it says in Genesis 3, right in the middle of the garden. Uh, so you got this enormous freedom, and then you've got limit. No reason is given by God to why not to eat from this tree. Just like the Bible gives no theory for the origin of evil. But you see, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like, well, I want to know more. I want to know the, the knowledge of good and evil. I want to know what, where does this universe come from? What, why was the earth created? What's the human race for? Why is, you know, what is the very essence of God? And uh, uh, and yet this the, God says the, his mind and his intentions are unfathomable. You know, God, by his very nature being God, there's an aspect of God that's just hidden. And no one can reveal, know God's mind, except that God would reveal it to us. But the tree confronts them with this limit confronts them with the issue of god's authority and, and so at the heart of original sin uh, uh of rebellion was a refusal to accept limits to embrace limits and uh, uh they just crossed it uh you know satan put in their mind you know god's holding back on you he's ruining your life with his commands he's not your friend he's your enemy you know Run from him, do it yourself. And they grasp the tree. They cross that limit. They grasp at godliness unsuccessfully. And uh, the consequence then happens is unleashed. Uh, you will die. And uh, the consequences are with us to this day because they crossed those limits. Uh, and again, out of fear, they were God was holding back on them. So that's the first text. Wow, what a text. And again, when we cross limits... We end up in all kinds of trouble. We end up in the enemy's territory when we just violate them and go forward. I mean, how many people do you know, and maybe you've done this yourself, pursue careers out of fear or try to pushing your kid, our kids to get in the best schools, and we're, but it's fear-driven. Or even, again, um, running a, a leadership or a ministry out of fear-driven that, you know, who's going to get it done? I mean, the world's going to fall apart, like, like, and, uh, you know, we're just we're, we're running past our, our body's limits. And uh, boy, I got a great story here that I will not repeat of a famous, famous leader who's no longer with us, who's died, but damaged his own body and his family uh, just by the massive pace of his life. Anyway, so that's the first story, Adam and Eve in the garden. The second is Jesus, our second Adam, uh, who joyfully embraces the limits of the Father. In Matthew 4, he doesn't go beyond them. And so the same temptation that confronted Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden, is faced by Jesus, now our second Adam, in the wilderness, in the, in, the, in the desert. 
And the devil comes to him and says, you know, in the first temptation, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And the invitation is to is to cross the limit. Uh, the limit is the father saying, wait, uh, don't use your power for this. Uh, the father says, I've got a timing for you. And so Jesus waits. The second temptation is jump off from the temple. So everyone will believe in him now. But Jesus embraces God's limits and doesn't do it. He walks down the temp, this temple steps and there's no miracle. Nobody believes in him yet, but he embraces limits. And the third temptation is, you know, bow to me for just a bow to me, Satan says, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. Just skip. You can skip over your God-given limits and the slow timetable of the Father and the cross, uh, Satan says, and just follow me. I mean, what a temptation, but Jesus, again, he, he embraces the limits of the Father and he obeys, he surrenders. Uh, he's willing to surrender to the Father who is good. And so we see Jesus embracing this, his limits all through his three-year ministry. I mean, God, by his very nature, the incomprehensible, you know, God who fills the universe with his power limited himself in the, in the person of Jesus. Uh, God incomprehensibly, you know, became one of us, a, a man. Uh, and so on his earth, on his earthly ministry of three years, he doesn't heal every sick person or drive out every demon. He doesn't build a massive ministry in one place. He chooses just 12, doesn't go to Europe or Africa or Asia or the Americas. And yet he prays at the end of his life, I finished the work which you have given me to do. Again, we see Jesus willing, surrendered, trusting God as the Father is good, not willful, crossing limits. The third story is John the Baptist, who embraces his limits. Uh, what's interesting, you know, the story tells us in John 3 where um, crowds, the, his, his disciples come to him and says, Jesus, he says, John the Baptist, they say to him, John, everyone's going over to be, uh, to follow Jesus and, and uh People are leaving us. And John the Baptist turns to them and, and, and uh, you know, they're envious. His disciples are getting uh, resentful and embittered. They love John. They want John's best. Uh, but now Jesus is getting bigger than John. And John simply replies uh, in this wonderful text, which I invite you to memorize, which John says is a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, I... And he, and he, he explains, I, I, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the bride, I'm the bridegroom. I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the best man here. I'm, ten, I'm listening for the bridegroom, uh, and uh, I'm full of joy that he's come now. He must become greater. I must become less. But he recognizes I've been given something from heaven. It's limited, and it's over. And I embrace the limit of my humanity, uh, my declining popularity. And it's just interesting because John the Baptist had so many limits, didn't he? I mean, he didn't have a normal job like other people. He he gave up claims to comfort. He, his clothes were lacking. Uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. He didn't, uh, didn't, didn't even have a good diet by first century standards. Uh, he doesn't ever marry or fall in love or have children or grow old. He dies young. Uh, but he's uh, not willful. He's willing. He surrenders uh, to God and, and uh, that God is good. Uh, accompanying the groom, Jesus, you know, to the ceremony. I mean, it's amazing. And then we have Paul, uh, you know, also another tremendous example of someone who was willing, not willful. And I'm referring in particular to the passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where uh, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. I mean, Paul, the apostle, was arguably the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Uh, he wrote almost half the New Testament. 
Uh, he's the great apostle. He's the founder of the Corinthian church. And in this context, his position and his authority is challenged by these super apostles who are doing incredible signs and wonders and have extraordinary speaking gifts. And in comparison, Paul looks weak. He's not a great order. He doesn't seem to have the same level of anointing. And these false teachers or apostles have come to Corinth and they're basically claiming to be better than Paul and they're pulling people away from Paul and his authority. And they're, they're speaking about their revelations, their anointings, their experiences over and against Paul, who just seems so ordinary, so limited. And so Paul writes this amazing passage in 2 Corinthians 12. And he's like, he goes, I could tell you about all my incredible revelations in the third heaven. He goes, but I'm not. And he go, then he begins to give a basis for his authority which is the weakness that comes as a result of his limits. And he refers then to his, you know, uh, he goes, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, in ancient times, a thorn was a stake in the ground used during battle to slow down the enemy's progress. For Paul, there's a stake cutting right into the center of his being. Talk about a limit. Now, we don't know what that limit was exactly, but you can put your limit in there. Maybe it was a physical ailment for Paul, an eye problem or a speech defect or epilepsy. You know, Paul was like a sick charismatic. You know, maybe it was spiritual temptations, his tendency to bitterness or temp his violent temper. Maybe it was the agony of people opposing him or misunderstanding him. But whatever it was, this thorn was evil. And it caused him pain. And he, he asked God, I, I want out. I, 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 this is awful. And he cried out three times with great urgency. Lord, take it away. And then he just says, you know, God said to him to keep me from becoming conceited. The Lord said, no, uh, I'm making you weak to free you from pride. Uh, ground to ground Paul to make him humble, to bring him low, to strip him. Uh, and Paul says, able to say, there was given to me this gift. Uh, of this thorn. Imagine Paul without a thorn. Who knows? Headstrong, a driver, super gifted, brilliant. He may have been unbearable. But God, but Paul sees this was given to him as a gift, uh, uh, a limit to, to that Christ's power might be displayed through him. And he boasts that God wants me weak and wants us weak so that Christ's power might rest in us. And you know, the Shekinah glories, actually. And so you got this, Paul, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And 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 instead of willfulness and willful, grabbing, gr clutching, we see Paul willing, surrendering to God, you know, trusting in his goodness. What a passage. The final one I want to bring to you, and another amazing example is King David. And what's incredible about this passage in uh, David here is that uh, it, it's a story when, when David in 2 Samuel, uh, he, uh, his power has been consolidated. He's, he's riding a, wi a wave of popularity. He's publishing these incredible psalms. Uh, he, and he wants to build a temple for God. So all the surrounding nations might know that there's a God in Israel. And uh, he has the money. He has the people's support. He has the, the labor. And even the prophet Nathan encourages him to go for it. And yet, God limits him and says no. Uh, this is one of the most critical moments in David's life because, and his leadership, because uh, what's he going to do? Uh, all, what, what are all the other pagan kings going to think uh, around him? Because they all have magnificent temple structures to their gods. 
But and David and all of Israel and the God of Israel looks weak by comparison. You know, it's like us. You look around, you, you compare yourself to other churches and ministries and other people, and you say, my gosh, I look like a failure here, you know? And, um, you know, David, it says, the Bible says, sat down and prayed. And uh, by the time he was over, he surrenders. He's willing uh, to surrender to God's limit, uh, a plan that he can't see and understand. That's why he writes in Psalm 115, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But David wrestled with that core spiritual issue that we all need to face when dealing with limits, and that is this. Uh, can I trust that God's good? And he really does have a grip on all things. And David accepts and embraces willingly and joyfully this knowledge that I'm too limited to perceive what the big thing that God's doing. God has said no. And so David just lets go. Let's go. And then he does pre preparation for material so that Solomon, his son, uh, in the next generation, that he'll build the temple. And so, again, it's a beautiful, beautiful text of uh, willingness, not willfulness, and surrendering to God. That's one of the great marks of maturity is just the fact that you can do something, you're actually surrendered uh, to God and whether he wants you to do it at all and to let it go. Uh, when it's not God's will, takes tremendous character and strength. I mean, think of the pandemic we're in right now. Uh, you know, we're in our second year now, and I, you know, it's so easy to get to a place saying with this pandemic, I'm tired of this, I'm taking charge, I'm not going to be a pawn in the universe, and there's kind of a willfulness, and I'm, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven that God's going to stop this thing now, and, and uh, you know, we kind of fall into this narcissistic spirituality, uh, and using God uh, for our own will. It's one of the great, great temptations of, in our spirituality is using prayer and worship and scripture uh, to actually justify our over-attachments to control and mastering our own fate. So uh, let me just be personal here. And, and uh, uh, I just want to, I just want to touch on and these six areas of uh, life of limits uh, are in uh, the chapter on limits but I want to just say a few comments about them and uh, and bring this to a close. I mean, there's so much more I could say, uh, and you can read about it. But here, here's a, here's six areas to think about your limits in your life right now, and think of your own personality of your of your personality and your temperament. God's built you a certain way: extrovert, introvert. You know, you like more structure, less structured. Easygoing, relaxed. Are you bold or a risk taker? You know, and. And, and and but but God's given you a certain nature. He's built you a certain way, temperamentally and personality-wise. And, and that I, I like what Parker Palmer calls it. You have a, you have a nature, a God-given nature of of your true self, and that has to be respected. Uh, just like if you're dealing with steel or or wood, that how you lead, how you live, has to respect the unique way that God has made you. And then what are the limits of your current season of life? There are seasons. There's a time and a season for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, Ecclesiastes 3. Again, I was taught there were no seasons. Just God wants to build it. We're always in spring and summer uh, versus there's no such thing as a time to mourn, a time to cry, a time for winter. Uh, but there are seasons in life and there are limits of seasons. There are seasons when you may be at home with small children, perhaps with special needs or uh, where there's emotional or physical challenges or external crises. Uh, there are seasons because maybe our parents may need us for health reasons, or there are seasons of financial prosperity and seasons of financial struggle, seasons of study, 
uh, and further schooling and seasons for high levels of activity. And there are seasons to step back uh, from responsibilities, seasons to grieve. Uh, again, what's the limit uh, that are in your, your current season of life? And then what are the limits of your marriage or your singleness? If you're married, that's a limit. If you're single, that's a limit. It's a different kind of limit. Uh, I know I lived uh, as a married person, uh, ignoring the limits of marriage and who you're married to is a limit. And one of the great, uh, for me, moments of launching in this emotionally healthy discipleship journey was that my vow to Jerry was a God-given limit uh, to me and the ministry needed to flow out of my leadership versus ignoring uh, my marriage and just racing ahead for God. And uh, again, if God's given you an aging parent or a special needs child, those are all gifts from him that need time, energy, um, and have to be respected. But those limits uh, are gifts from him. And then, of course, what are the limits of your emotional, physical, and intellectual capacities? And uh, these are God-given limits. I mean, we, I, I consider myself to have a pretty large capacity in many ways, but it's very, very limited uh, in so many other ways. And uh, if I work, if I, I, I'm, a, I'm much more of an artistic kind of a person. If I'm in planning meetings, executive meetings uh, for more than one day at a shot, I find myself depressed and lethargic because I need time alone. Uh, I can't work a 70 hour week emotionally or physically or spiritually. I need time to, I need time to transition actually from meetings. Uh, and so even again, so much of this, not just your temperament, but also your family of origin. And uh, I was talking with a, uh, a fellow pastor, we both were talking about our severe abuse growing up and how chaotic it was and how important it is for us in light of that limit of some of our scars of our upbringing, how we need a good structure in our lives and chaos uh, around us externally uh, is uh, often needs to be carefully monitored because it kicks in a trigger of inner chaos. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a limit, uh, knowing where we're emotionally fragile. So I'm always asking the question for me and my team, am I leading out of my God-given limits, respecting the nature uh, of how God's made me? Uh, so I'm listening and surrendering to him. Uh, and I'm asking that for my team as well. How's God uniquely built them? And am I, uh, I want them to lead out of their true selves, how God's uniquely made them, not a false self of trying to be somebody they are not. And then finally, what are the limits of your family of origin, which I've mentioned here before. Uh, there, there's gold in our family histories, uh, but there's limits that come out of that as well, whether it's whatever it might be that you may have come out of. And, and uh, the limits I inherited from my family, I initially thought they were uh, huge liabilities. And I realized, no, once I embraced them, they were actually gifts. And, uh, uh, and then, of course, there's limits of your time. You only have one life to live. You can't do it all. Uh, I'd love to try a few different professions. Not going to happen. My time on earth is running out. And every decade gives us opportunities and limits. Uh, decade of your teenage years, your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Each present us with different limits. But the key is, um, uh, um, that's why if you're young and without much life experience, there are certain doors that remain closed to you. So every season has doors that are open and closed on age. So the key is I'm, I'm approaching it. My, my, my following and leading for Jesus of will, not willfulness, but willingness and uh, not a clenched fist, but a palm open. So here's my invitation to you. I want to invite you and in the, the, the embracing God's gift of limits involves surrendering uh, and surrendering to God 
uh, and trusting his goodness in it. So in other words, defending, it's okay that God's mysterious. In other words, that there's a huge gap between us and our infinite God. In other words, it's like me trying to explain to a three-year-old about uh, financial planning or mortgages or retirement funds. Uh, a three-year-old just can't possibly get it. Well, in the same way, we can't possibly understand the infinite God of the universe and his larger plans out there uh, from our small place here on earth. So we surrender, recognizing the gap between us and God is infinite as well. Uh, you know, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. You know, Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, uh, but the things revealed belong to us and to our, our children. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor his ways our ways. Uh, Isaiah 55, and how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And so we, we, we've got this sense of we, we, we're living every moment of every day surrendered, willing uh, to do his will. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, yes, God's built you to dream. He's built me to dream. We have a vision for a preferred future. David had a dream, but we don't buy off or control or domesticate God. He's, we don't manipulate him. Uh, his love endures forever. That is one of the most amazing statements. His love towards you and towards me will, you know, will never go away. So I can trust that he's good. He is who he says he is. Um, you can trust him. I can trust him. But it's moving out of this kindergarten spirituality is, you know, God's going to give me everything I want and all my prayers like now. No, this is like maturity that God says sometimes no. Just like he did to say to Jesus. He said no to his son Jesus in Gethsemane. You know, not when Jesus says, oh, Father, can this cup pass for me? But not my will, but your will be done. Uh, and uh, Jesus embraced the limits of the Father's plan for him. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's in charge. My, my goal is his will. My goal is follow him and complete the work he's given me to do and let him form Christ in me. Because he really does know you and he knows me better than we know ourselves. And he sees all of history uh, now, you can get angry, you can freak out, you can overwork and you can be angry and say, this person ruined my life. Or you can surrender and trust and receive God's revelation of truth that's found within limits. Uh, and let God make you more compassionate and kind and approachable and meek. Uh, and actually make you powerful. How? And it's through weakness. Now, the big question I know some of you may be asking is, how do I discern when it's time to surrender and when it's time to break through those limits. And, uh, you know, we see folks breaking through limits in Scripture, like Sarah and Abraham and Elijah, who's prone to depression, and 12 disciples who weren't, didn't seem like they should be the leaders, or Timothy was by nature, you know, timid and fearful, and or Mary being the mother of, you know, Jesus, and as a teenager from a poor family, and yet God takes them and he he, he, he breaks through their limits and does something wonderful with them. So I, this is where place comes listening and stillness and a place of surrender. Uh, and, and we need some rhythms in our life. So we're in this place of, of, of willing surrender. We probably need some wise counselors along the way of discernment. And you just need some time. Uh, I can't tell you uh, time, uh, time as we wait on God is the great clarifier. So, Take a deep breath, slow down, uh, and embrace the gift of limits because limits really is the core of a mature spirituality and what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship. Now, there's just so much to this large theology, uh, and this podcast is really meant to supplement 
uh, your reading and discussion around Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. So let me encourage you again to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship. Um, pick up that discussion guide and uh, you want to read more about it and talk about it with your team. So thank you very much, everybody. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful day and that you will find God and meet God in the glory and the beauty of even your limits. Have a great day, everybody.